Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who would not want to be here today? Haven't we had a great service already? I feel like I've been to church. Many of you may remember Andy Williams. Andy Williams uh, was the uh, singer who was very famous. He appeared in four motion pictures, but his notoriety was singing. And uh, he was nominated for six Grammy Awards. He produced 43 albums. Fifteen of those were gold albums. Three were platinum albums. He sold 110 million records. How many of you know that's a lot of records? His most famous song was Moon River. How many of you remember Moon River? So you're of age like me. A lot of hands did not go up, but he hosted the uh, Andy Williams show on television for about nine years. Later, he moved to Branson, Missouri and owned the uh, Moon River uh, Theater where he performed and many other famous artists came there. And uh, he was a very famous and popular person at the time. While he was living in Branson, uh, a friend of his said, I'm going to go visit my mother in a convalescent nursing home. Uh, would you like to go with me? And he said, sure, I'll go with you. And so they got to the uh, convalescent nursing home, and he said, I'm going to go back to see Mom. Would you like to go back with me? He said, no, there's a, a lovely uh, you know, reception area, garden area here, atrium. I'm going to stay here and just uh, sit here and just think for a while. And a lot of activity, people passing through, a lot of the residents. And he said, while he sat there, a woman came over and just began to befriend him. And and uh, they struck up conversation and said, you know, do you live here? Well, yeah, I live in Branson. I mean, this guy owns one of the greatest, uh, you know, theaters in all of Branson. He, he has been nominated for Grammy six times, sold 110 million records. And so they're, they're having this conversation. They're talking, they're talking. And uh, she's just inquiring about him. And, and finally he said, ma'am, do you know who I am? And, and she said... Uh, no, but if you'll go up to that reception desk, they can tell you who you are. <laughs> How many of you ever had an identity crisis? Well, we live in a time today that we're living in one of the greatest times of crisis as far as identity. And the passage we just read is really an identity crisis passage. I don't know if you noticed, but Moses began the conversation by saying, who am I? that I should do this. And then he goes a little bit later and he says, okay, if I do this and I go back, then the question is going to come up, then who do I say you are? So I'm not really for sure who I am. And listen, God, I'm really not for sure who you are. We've heard about you. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God of our fathers. And we're struggling a little bit with this identity in this passage. And folks, we live in a time of identity crisis. There has never been a time, I believe, in human history that we have identified and we have faltered and we have struggled with identity crisis any other time than today. People are struggling with their sexual identity. They're, they're struggling with their racial identity, their ethnic identity, conservative, liberal, Democrats, Republicans. Uh, religious, spiritual identities. And if you call someone by the wrong name now, oh, it's not good. 
I recently saw an article. This was a TV host on, a, on an entertainment program. He made the statement because uh, he said in this subject that some parents are allowing their children at six, five, seven years old to identify their own sexual identity. And he says, you know, children aren't mature enough to do that. Parents should not do that. Uh, allow them to choose. You know, they should instruct them. And I don't know if he'll ever be back on television again because of that statement. We're struggling with identity because we have lost our way. And we've lost the moorings and the foundation of who we are, who created us, and, and, and what we have. And our world is grappling with this identity struggle. And today we even have to pay for identity protection. That no one gets our identity. A few years ago, my bank card that I use, uh, how many of you carry checks or cash? A few of you do. The, the newer generation, my boys, they don't carry checks. They don't carry cash. They just carry their little card. And that's why we have a kiosk in the, uh, in the foyer and we have online because many of you guys don't have checks or cash. So you don't throw anything in the offering, so we kind of subverted you to get your money. <laughs> But I'm just saying, that's the world we live in. So uh, someone got my card number, and it's fairly easy to do. If you pay at a restaurant, a waitress or a waiter can get your identity, or uh, they, they can capture it. And I found out that all of a sudden I'm uh, paying for diesel, you know, $200, $300, $400 of diesel up in the upper Midwest in Florida. And so I said, hey, somebody's got my identity on my card, and uh, some truck driver's crossing America on my dime. And so they had to figure that out. Then a few you know, years later, my diamond shamrock card, same thing. We had to figure that out. How many of you have ever had that happen to you? Someone got your identity. Sure, we're in identity overload in crisis today, and it's never been like that before. And here in the passage, we're still doing that. I don't know if you've ever watched the movie Catch Me If You Can, Leonardo DiCaprio, Frank Abengale. Uh, he, he's the guy who started out as a uh, you know swindler, really, who he was. He was forging checks, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of checks. He pawned himself off as a teacher at Brigham Young University. He, he was uh, showing himself as an airline pilot, and he wasn't. He went to Louisiana and became a lawyer, passed the bar exam, and said he was from Harvard Law School and never been to school. He, he pawned himself off as a physician, a doctor, an MD, a pediatric expert. So he, he had an identity crisis, a big one, right? Made a movie out of his life. And if you don't watch it and I don't watch it, we can have our own identity crisis because we don't know who we are and especially we don't know who we are in Christ. And here, this passage is really showing us that we can overcome this and we can kind of reboot our life if we're trying to go forward in our life. Listen, it's difficult to enter the unknown. If we are not going to have the right identity, you cannot take new territory if you don't know who you are or who is leading you there in the unknown. And if we kind of cross that bridge, it will help us take the steps to the next level, the next unknown, the next territory. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, if you've always been a slave, if that's all you've known, and for 400 years plus, these people have been servants and slaves. I want to tell you something. They have developed a slavery mentality. They have developed a slavery mentality. And now God is getting ready to re-identify them 
to who they really are. But to re-identify to who you really are, you also have to know who He is, and your life has to be in congruency to who He is to get really down to the basics of who you are. How many of you know that that statement is kind of a big statement, but it's a really true statement? So God's going to re-identify His people here. Let me just give you a few things that he does here. So I want you to take notes if you, if you have a pencil and paper there. God is going to re-identify them as a people of favor. Say that with me. A people of favor. Now let's all say it. A people of favor. This is an exodus, so we're going to go through this. Chapter 3, verse 21. And I will give this people favor. Say that with me. I will give this people favor. You are the children of God. You have the favor of God. Look at me. You have the favor of God. I have the favor of God. Not because I'm good, but because he's good. We have the favor of God. In this passage, he says, when I release you, I want you to go to the Egyptians. You've been working for them for 400 years. I want you to spoil them. I want you to take their gold, their silver, their precious stones. I want you to take their stuff. And when you leave, I want you to be laying down with the Egyptian stuff. And you say, Pastor, that doesn't sound right. Listen, 400 years of back wages. You with me? So he says... I'm going to give you favor with them, and you're going to take their stuff. So you and I have to be understood, re-identified, that we are people of favor, number one. Secondly, we have to realize that we are the family of God. You're a part of the family of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. We're a part of the family of God. When we try to interpret the church as anything but family, we misidentify the church. Let me tell you why. It's not a company. It's not a corporation. It's not a denomination. It's not an uh, emergent thing. It is the family of God. Let me tell you why. Because we have a heavenly father. We're calling each other brothers and sisters. We have spiritual mothers and fathers. So we are identified as the family of God. Whether there's 30 of us or 3,000 of us, we're still all a part of what? God's big family. So he says in Exodus 4, look there, verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Let me, let me tell you, that looks like Clint Eastwood standing on Main Street with guns drawn. We're going to have a showdown, Pharaoh. This nation, and this is how he identifies the nation. So ladies, he includes you in with us guys. He says, this nation is my son. I am their father. This is my son. This is my family. And you're going to let my family go. If you don't let my family go, if you don't let my son go, I'm going to take your son. And you know what? That exactly happened as you go on in the story. He said, this is my son. Let my son go. If you don't, I'm going to take your son. So we're part of the family of God. Hey, if you've been saved one day, welcome to the family. If you've been saved 30 years, welcome to the family. We're all a part of the family of God. So we have to identify we're favored by God. We're in the family of God. The third thing is we're a people that set apart. We're a people who set apart. 
Now, if you look at chapter 7, the plagues begin to fall on Egypt. You remember the first one? The water turns to blood. So the, the Nile turns to blood, it putrefies, things in the water dies, there's a stench that goes out through the land. So first plague comes, second plague is the frogs. Last night, I, I've been home by myself, uh, Carrie and uh, Malia and uh, Matt and Stephanie went to Texas for the wedding shower down in Texas, and so me and the dog and the cat uh, are at home, and so I'm... Uh, dog watching for Matthew and I noticed the cat was looking at something in the bedroom by the French doors in the back and, and I'm studying last night you know late and, and I wonder what's the cat doing and there was a frog that got into our bedroom so the cat and the frog they're, they're doing the cat and the frog thing now th this is more than the cat and the frog thing so the plague of frogs is that the frogs are everywhere I mean, they're, they're in the Egyptian toilets, the urinals, the cookie jars, the kitchens, kind of like crickets. <laughs> Some of you get that on the way home. I mean, there's frogs everywhere. And, and one of the unique things about this passage and this, this story is that um, Pharaoh said, get rid of the frogs. And Moses said, when would you like for me to get rid of them? He said, about this time tomorrow. One more night with the frogs. How many know sometimes we put up with things way too long? Okay, just go on, Pastor. Okay, third, thir third plague was the lice. Fourth plague was the flies. So we're up to the fourth plague. Now, Exodus 8, if you want to flip over there, I want to show you something here. Exodus 8, verse 20, And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to water. Then say to him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else... If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord, the God in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Okay, last line. Participate with me. Verse 23. Here we go. I will make a difference between my people and your people. God set you apart. God set me apart. You are not like the rest of the world. I'm not trying to give you the big head. There's enough head shrinkers out there. You'll come back to size. But I'm going to tell you, you are not like the world. If you are Bible-believing, born-again, spirit-filled Christians, you are not like the rest of the world. You are set apart, which the word is sanctified, or you have been set apart. Big churchy word, it just means set apart. Now, as the rest of the plagues come, the cattle begins to die, the camels, the oxen, the sheep, but no livestock dies over among the Hebrews. Then there's the, the bulls come, the hell comes, but not where God's people live, no, no hell there. The locusts come, the darkness comes, 
No matter what they do, they, they can't get light. I mean, the lanterns won't work. The, the lamps won't come on. The, the candles, they, they won't burn. But not in the land of God's people. How many know there's light in the land of God's people? Darkness with the Egyptians, but light with God's people. This is what he's saying. There is a difference between my people and your people. You are a people. I'm a person that is set apart from the rest of the world. And I tell you, that's a good thing. You are favored, you're family, you're set apart, and you are very special and precious people. That's the next one. Now, in Exodus 19, he gives this line, and I want to share it with you, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, notice there are three things that he says. Number one, you're a special treasure. This, in the King James, the word is peculiar. You find the word again in the New Testament. Look at the person next to you and say, you're really peculiar. <laughs> how, how many of you know the, the word here is different than how we use it today? Unless you looked at them and they are really peculiar this morning. But he says we're peculiar people, which means we are a very special treasure to God. Second thing he says, we're a kingdom of priests. Third thing he says, that we're a holy nation. Now I want your attention just for a moment. God is rebranding his people. Perk up. God's rebranding his people. If you've had a servant-slave mentality for 400 years, then God is bringing you aside and saying, you are not servants you're not slaves. That does not identify you. This is who you are. You are special. You are a nation of kings and priests. You are a holy people. You are a favored people. You are my family. This is who you are. It's not what the Egyptians say you are. It's who I say you are. That's who you are. See, to move forward, to gain ground, to go where no man has ever gone before, Captain Kirk, then we have to know who we are and we have to see ourselves as God sees us, not as others see us or even as we see ourselves. We have to see ourselves in the right light as what God says. Now, why would we need to do that? Because it's thematic through Scripture. You say, okay, what do you mean? God calls Abram and Sarai, but later on he says, okay, I'm going to rebrand you. I'm going to re-identify you. No longer will you be called Abram or Sarai. Now you shall be called Abraham and Sarah, and we've taught and we've preached on this before, the key component of the words is the letter H. And you can't say H, hot, holy, or whatever without breathing out. Just try it. Hot, holy, hairy. Okay, I'm going to not look at some of you when I said that. that, that that's kind of typifying the breath of God. 
I'm going to include the H in your name. I'm going to have my breath in your name. Or the Lord comes along and he says, Simon Barjona, I'm not going to call you by that anymore. I'm going to call you Peter Petra the Rock. Or, or he comes along and he says, Levi, I know you collected taxes for the Romans, but I'm not going to call you Levi anymore. I'm going to call you Matthew. Saul of Tarsus, I know you persecuted my church, and, and I know you kind of got misdirected as a zealot Jew, but I'm not going to call you Saul of Tarsus anymore. I'm going to call you Paul. I'm going to re identify who you are, I'm going to rebrand you to something else. Because sometimes in life, a parent will brand a child and they'll carry that stigma throughout their life. Or maybe you've been in prison and then you are known as the convict, the prisoner, or the drug addict, or the drunk. Parents can do it. Friends can do it. Or you can go to school and it can happen. Someone in school can brand you. There's the tall kid, the skinny kid, the fat kid, the smart kid, the dumb kid. How many know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden something sticks to you. And then you begin to get your identification from the wrong place, not the right place. That's the poor guy. That's, that's the girl from the other side of the tracks. And then we, we get this branding. We get this identification that's very negative. It can happen at home. It can happen at school. It can happen at work. It can happen with friends. How many of you know it can happen with anybody? It can even happen with you branding yourself. You identifying yourself. And then all of a sudden God comes along and he says, Now wait, wait. You, you need a rebranding. You need a re-identification here. You're favored. Your family... You're set apart, you're holy, you're special to me, and I don't care what anybody else says, that's who you are. Don't keep the old identity. L listen, people, listen, friends, listen, Hebrews, listen, Israel, you are not slaves. So you've got to quit thinking with the slave mentality, you are my kids favored by Almighty God. And I'm going to help somebody today with this because I know how difficult it can be if you allow that to grip your life and your heart. And lastly, Moses says, and who are you? Who are you? First thing he says, who am I? Now he says, who are you? I want to give you five things that they're about to learn about God. When he says, I am that I am, basically what he's saying is, I am the creator of God and I'll be whatever I need to be. This is who I am. I'm almost unidentifiable, but I'm going to begin to reveal to you who I am. And this is something he says in this story. He says, I'm going to give you information about me that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob doesn't even know. It is an ongoing revelation of who he is. So, what do we know? We know number one, he says, I am your father. I'm your creator. You are a product of me. So school started, college is beginning, and you're going to go to school, you're going to go to college, you're going to hear, and I have a phrase for this, that you become you by the goo through the zoo. <laughs> right? That's what you're going to be taught. I was taught that. Sometimes teachers are required to teach that. 
And so you're going to hear, you're a product of an accident. There's no significance to your life. You didn't come from anywhere. You're not going anywhere. This is what I know. If you didn't come from anywhere, you're not going anywhere. There's a whole lot of nothing in between. If you wonder why people are despondent, life doesn't matter, because they have identified with I am just a product of some evolutionary force. I am I, I, nothing special. We all come from the same place by evolutionary process. I came from the goo, through the zoo, and to become you. Let me tell you something. I didn't come from the goo. I didn't go through the zoo to become me. I am a product of the creation of a living, loving, holy God that had me in mind from the beginning of creation. And so are you. He knows you and he knew you before you ever took a breath from the beginning of the foundation of the world. How many of you believe that? He says, I am your father. You are my son nation. You are a creation of who I am and what I've done. Second thing, I'm your deliverer. There's no way you're going to escape Egypt without me delivering you. You have no weapons. You're not soldiers. You're not warriors. But I'm going to come along with a strong hand and miracle signs and wonders, and I'm going to release you from the grip of Pharaoh. I will be your deliverer. The third thing is I will be your way maker. I love, I love that term. We don't want to hear it much. How many of you know God is the way maker? He is the way maker. Exodus 13, verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of the fire by night from before the people. Now, now, let me just give you a little snippet here. How many of you know these folks that he's talking about were not always good folks? Okay, I deserve a better amen than that. How many of you know they were some real ringtail tutors? Can you say that in church? I mean, these people griped, they complained, they murmured, they built golden calves in the wilderness. Sometimes they were just horrible. But he did not take away the cloud by day, nor did he take away the pillar of fire by night through this entire journey. Just because sometimes we're not good doesn't mean that God is not always good. I mean, you know, God is always good. Even when you're not good, and I'm not good, and the person sitting to your left is not good, and the one on your right is not good, God is always good. So he is the way maker. The cloud led them by day. The pillar of fire led them by night. The fourth thing, he's also our protector. He is the creator, the deliverer, the way maker, and he is our protector. Let me tell you why. Exodus 14. Verse 19, and the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. Now what does that mean? They're leaving Egypt. They're going to a place they don't know, the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey. And they're headed out. And finally the Egyptian says, we're going we're to pursue them. We're going to bring them back. If we can't bring them back, we're going to destroy them. And then they get to the Red Sea. So here they are. They're up against the sea. The Egyptians are coming hard on their backs. They get trapped between the sea and the Egyptians. 
picture in your mind, here's the verse. So it came, the cloud came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus was a cloud of darkness to the one, and it gave light to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. You know what happened here? Here the Egyptians about to spring upon God's people, and the cloud that was leading them, here, here's the cloud, it's leading them, and all of a sudden the cloud goes from before them and then goes to behind them. Now the cloud goes between the Egyptians and God's people, and here's the beauty. On the side of the cloud that's facing the Egyptians, it's complete darkness. On the side of the cloud that's facing God's people, it's all light. It's light on one side, dark on the other side, same cloud. Who are you, God? I am that I am. I'll be whatever you need me to be. I'll be darkness to them and I'll be light to you. That's who I am. I am the God that is the I am that I am. I am your protector. If you need protection, I'll give you protection. You, you, you need light over here, I'll give you light. If they need darkness, I'll shoot some darkness their way. I'll be whatever you need me to be. So he is not only our, our deliverer, he is also our protector. And then number five, he is our provider. Now most scholars say that the numbers that left Egypt was somewhere between two and six million people. Wow. Do you know I don't think there's six million people in the entire state of Oklahoma? How many of you knew that? How many of you don't know that? How many of you don't care about that? <laughs> There's not six million people in the whole state of Oklahoma. How would you like to feed the entire state of Oklahoma every day? Every day. He is their provider. When they wanted meat to eat, guess what he did? He blew the quail in on the wind. And the quail were several feet deep around the camp. How many of you have been quail hunting? How many of you have never seen that many quail in all of your life? No bird dogs, no shotguns. God blew the quail in on the wind. When they needed bread, guess what he did? Manna fell from heaven. They had no idea what it was. Matter of fact, the name manna means what is it? It's what, that's what the name means in the Hebrew. It means what is it? They walked out and the bread had fell from heaven. It was like a coriander seed and, and they could make meal and bread out of it. And they walked out and said, what is this? And God says, I'm going to bring your food down from heaven every day, six days a week for 40 years. And on the sixth day, I'll give you a double portion. So last, through the Sabbath, you don't have to go gather it. You don't have to work. And, and no flies, no worms, no maggots. Nothing will be in there. It will stay good. But after that, you know, you're, you're on your own. But anyway, six days, he provided that much food for them. When they ran out of water, guess what he'd do? He'd break the rock open and cause a river of water to come out of it. I want to tell you something. God's your provider. Supernaturally, He is our provider. So you need meat? I can provide meat. 
You need bread, I'll provide bread. You, you need water, I'll provide water. You need protection, I'll provide protection. You need deliverance, I'll provide. I'll be whatever you need. I am that I am. Whatever you need, that's what I am. Whatever you need, that's what I am. And he's still that today. Still that today. Now, I don't know what you came with today, and I, I know this is, is a fact. A lot of people walk in here, and they've been labeled. You're, you're the dumb one. You're the, you're the poor one. You're, you're, the, you're the convict. You're, you're this. You're that. And God is saying, I think, to us, I need to re-identify you. I need to rebrand you. You are what I say you are. You're not what the world says. You're not what culture says. Listen, culture's trying to conform you into what they say you should be. That's why we should not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So what is the renewing of your mind? I have to realize this is what God says I am. I am favored. I'm favored. I'm family. I'm set apart. I'm special. I'm holy. Not because sometimes I feel like I'm all those things, but because God says I'm those things. I believe what God said about me. I don't believe what CNN says about me. I, I don't even believe what Fox News says about me. I don't believe what the movies say about me. I, I don't believe what the latest movie star or rock star says about me. I believe what God says about me. My identification is not what somebody else said about me. Not what a parent said. Not what a former husband said. Or former wife said. I, I, I have a little indication that when the split happened, there were some things said about who you were. Could you even imagine that? As you go out the door, somebody's telling you, well, this is what you are. How many of you know you've got to let that roll off? You have to say No. This is what God said about me. This is who God says I am. And so you, you see, sometimes when we get in that condition and we have that slavery mentality, that poor me mentality, it stops my progress, stops my journey. God's saying, I've got another place for you. I've got another dimension for you. I've got another step for you. You don't know what it is yet. You don't know what the next chapter holds. But if you will get your identity right, then I can take you there. But if you still have that slavery mentality, you're going to be stuck. Right. Folks, you can be out of Egypt, but still have Egypt mentality. Amen. Or, if I rethink it, if I get re-identified, if I get rebranded, re then I can become what God says that I am. And then I can know who He is to me. Why don't you bow your head with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.